Well, good morning, and the Lord be with you. Thank you for joining us today in worship, uh, scattered, of course, across the greater North Dallas area, uh, but yet gathered by the very power of the Holy Spirit to receive from the Lord the rich blessings of life and faith that he has for us in his son Jesus through the word and certainly through the sacrament together. And so we rejoice and give thanks for this opportunity, uh, even amongst this renovation that we're experiencing in the life of our congregation, uh, that uh, though we're not able to gather in our sanctuary, uh, the Lord still uh, keeps us connected uh, by this gift of technology uh, and the proper use of it for the good of the church. And so again, thank you for being part of our worship life today. A couple of announcements though, before we do get started uh, into the service. Just a reminder that uh, immediately following worship, uh, there is uh, youth uh, which are participating uh, through Zoom. So if you have any students, children, or grandchildren, part of our youth program, I don't forget that that is an option for them, as well as an upcoming service project next Saturday, the 23rd, uh, where our youth will participate with uh, Santa Cruz, uh, that is our uh, Spanish-speaking congregation, to help distribute food boxes uh, to locals uh, who are in need in our community. Also, Lutheranism 101 will meet immediately after our worship service on Zoom uh, to continue a look at our faith and the basics of our Lutheran confession uh, before the world, but uh, for the world, if you will. So again, uh, don't forget about that. And also, uh, we'll continue to keep you updated on our renovation progress uh, as things happen. Uh, perhaps uh, you saw the Facebook video that I posted earlier this week on Thursday, uh, documenting the removal of the pews. and so. Uh, the good work has begun, and may it be completed, uh, and may we rejoice in what the Lord is doing among us. So for our purposes today, I'll be leading worship. Uh, your uh, resources are available online to you. I will be in this fixed position uh, because of the cameras. Uh, a little odd for us not to move around, but nonetheless, uh, we're still able um, uh, to, uh, to be together. So again, thank you uh, for joining us today. So as you are able, I invite the uh, congregation uh, at home to join with me um, in our confession and assurance of God's love. And those who are here with me, this production team, uh, will act as uh, my responsive readers uh, to help me along um, as, we, uh, as we move forward. So we're going to begin then on page two of uh, the worship packet uh, with our confession and assurance of God's love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. God of all mercy and consolation, come to the aid of your people, turning us from our sin to live for you alone. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit that attentive to your word we may confess our sins, receive your forgiveness, and grow into the fullness of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Gracious God, have mercy on us. In your compassion, forgive us our sins, known and unknown, things done and left undone. Uphold us by your Spirit so that we may live and serve you in newness of life. To the honor and glory of your holy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you, forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen you in all goodness and by the very power of the Holy Spirit, keep you into eternal life. Amen. We continue with our opening hymn, number 809, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And also with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your new morning mercies, for the gifts of forgiveness and grace and salvation in Jesus and the reality that those gifts are not just something that we receive somewhere out there after we die, but that are gifts for us today here in this place, in our own homes and in our communities, our places of work and our places of education. Uh, so we continue to thank you, Lord, for those gifts of grace uh, and the empowering um, gift of Jesus in our lives. And so we commend ourselves to you in thanksgiving for those new morning mercies and pray that as we open up your word, you would open up your heart, our heart and mind uh, so that we might better understand your word and be able to apply it to our life of faith as we seek to live it out uh, to your glory and for the good of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we continue with our responsive psalm, Psalm 139, verses 1 through 10. Search me, O God, and know my heart. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from my heart. You search out my path in my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before the Lord is gone by my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is mine. I cannot obtain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the shore, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our second reading uh, this morning comes to us from 1 Samuel chapter 3, where the Lord calls Samuel. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord again called Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from John chapter 1, uh, the calling of Philip and Nathanael. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Thank you, uh, Jonathan and Mark, and certainly thank you, Bill and uh, Joan, for helping us with the music uh, during this season of renovation. Uh, we are blessed as a congregation uh, with this gift of music uh, amidst us. Let's go ahead and pray, though, uh, before we begin uh, this morning's message and ask the Lord's blessing on the hearing and the receiving of his word today. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, grateful again for the opportunity to gather uh, those scattered uh, into our communities, but gathered nonetheless by the very power of your spirit uh, and through the presence of your word in our lives. And so we pray with thanksgiving that no matter where we are, uh, what station or circumstance we find ourselves in, uh, that your love is for us, uh, Lord, that uh, you are proactively uh, redeeming us and redeeming the day for your purposes uh, and plans and for the good of others. And so we rejoice in that and give thanks. So now we pray a bless, uh, Lord, the hearing and receiving of your word to your glory and the good of others. We ask this all in Jesus's most holy and precious name and all God's people say, amen. All right, so I can hear your amens at home. <laughs> all right, so well, grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ, amen, amen. We are in week two of our renovation sermon series, a series meant to coincide 
with our sanctuary renovation, uh, where we have this vision of a, of a renovated church, a space that's been changed in the positive sense, a good work being done within, right, just behind me, scripture does too, doesn't it? Now, it's not about buildings though, is it? Because it's about us. In fact, Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, like the building behind me, are being renovated, worked on, changed by the very power of the Holy Spirit into Christ-likeness, right? Not to be Jesus, but called to be like him in a human sense. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 and in other places in his letters to the New Testament churches, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So here we are in our fellowship hall, virtually worshiping together, right? But anticipating this good work, both in the life of the congregation, the building, uh, but also in our own personal lives. So it's a win-win, is it not, for us as the people of God, even in the pandemic. And so, brothers and sisters, we rejoice in God's good work. All right, a quote from Mark Twain. He said this, Few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Think about that. Few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. Meaning, the most annoying thing about a good example is its inability to accomplish the same achievements in our own lives. Take, for example, the phrase, nailed it, right? Perhaps you've heard that. It's part of our, our modern lingo. Uh, but it should mean to do something perfectly or, or accurately. But in reality, it is a humorous way of describing failures. For example, there is uh, even a Netflix series by the same name where amateur bakers try to recreate the confectionery masterpieces of professional pastry chefs. And what happens to their attempts? <laughs> well, usually these amateur bakers, their attempts end up in disaster. <laughs> but think of it this way, if you will, the professional's example, no matter how good it is, cannot accomplish the same reality in the kitchens of the wannabes. You could say it like this, admiration inspires us, but it does not enable us. Now, a professional chef in your kitchen who can share her skills will help and even lead to, uh, um, may even lead to an exact duplicate as long as she's doing the work, but it takes more than just an example for us to look at. So how then does this apply to our life of faith and this idea that the Lord is doing a good work within you and in, within me, right? That's what we're after in this section of scripture from Philippians 2, right? But before we get to our brief breakdown that I've included in your worship packet on page five, listen to this from verse five, all right, of Philippians 2. Have the same mindset of have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Be like Christ, Paul is saying. He's the chef, you're the sous chef, all right, so to speak. But let me read the text for you, and then we'll break it down. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18, on page 5 of your worship packet, says this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my, own, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So you can hear right there the echoes of verse 6. Then Paul says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, 
Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on that day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on uh, the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So that's the text uh, for today's message. And again, there's a brief breakdown for you below that, right? But if we are talking about Christ-likeness in our series, this particular section that we're actually looking at addresses the mind or mindset. And so what does it mean for us as followers of Jesus to have that same mindset as Jesus? Think about it this way. Paul writing to Christians for whom Jesus is their savior. All right, that's first and foremost, the, the primary thing about them. He then recognizing, recognizing their salvation in Christ then, then presents Jesus as an example, all right, uh, secondary to that salvation, as an example, as an exercise in submission. Now let me read to you uh, verses six and following from chapter two, which you do not have in front of you unless you have open uh, your Bible or a Bible app to Philippians chapter two. But this is an ancient uh, Christian creedal hymn. Uh, that uh, scholars believe existed before the Apostle Paul uh, even wrote his letter to the church at Philippi, but he included it in his letter knowing that they knew about it. Verse 6 and following. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself. We hear it. We read it. We agree with it. We celebrate it. But how do we go about actually practicing it? How do we uh, go about like a Netflix series actually nailing it? How can we hope to, even as Jesus' followers, live a life which reflects his grace and humility towards others? Or does this seem uh, presumptuous? Right? I mean, as I try to be humble, am I not exercising pride by trying to imitate Jesus himself? <laughs> so what is Paul up to? Calling you and me to. What Paul is doing is not calling us to be Jesus. Okay? But he is setting before us this divine pattern of, of the submissive mind. And the divine power to accomplish what God has called us to. He's telling us to look to Jesus to accomplish this in us. Recall from the text, Philippians 2.13 tells us that God works in us. Or from Galatians 2.20 where Paul says, Christ lives within me. So what Paul is telling us is not by imitation, but by incarnation. God works in our lives. Christ lives within you, within me, not by imitation but by his, in, his own incarnation. So that the Christian life now is not a process of, of ins and outs, uh, so that the Christian life is now a process of ins and outs where God works in and through us so that we work out in our lives what he has called us to do. His power in us flowing out of us. And when the incarnational power of Christ is working in us, we are brought to a place of Christ-likeness. And in our case today, Christ-likeness in mindsets. All right, let me explain. First point, this is having a purpose to achieve. Again, verse 12 and verses 14 through 16. Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. 14 and 16. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of, the li- uh, word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. All right, verse 12, work out your salvation. What does he mean by this, right? Earn forgiveness through good deeds? No, <laughs> right? Saved by grace through faith, the apostle is encouraging them and us to let the grace of God permeate our lives, to be seen in our actions and in our words. 
And by way of example, the, the, the verb Paul uses for work out is a mining term, a phrase uh, meaning to get out of the mine all the valuable minerals as possible. So it speaks to potential as well as to action within the body of Christ. Think of it this way. Romans 8, 29 tells us uh, to be conformed to the image of the Son. With the conformity coming from Christ within us and then being worked outside of us, we are reminded in Ephesians 2.10 that we are God's handiwork, that we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has already prepared for you and for me. So as we submit our lives, as we submit mind, body, and soul to the Lord, our lives and shape. Our, our, our lives are shaped for God's purposes, and God's purposes are achieved. Yet Paul is not calling, though, for a retreat behind a castle wall, right? Rather, Paul is talking about our lives lived out among the brokenness of the world around us, right? Sharing in the reality of the joys and struggles that others are experiencing, even those of non-believers. Because it's not by leaving the world, but by ministering to the world uh, that we see God's purposes fulfilled in our lives. And we see what we believe and say, finding expression then in what we do. That's the call on our lives as the people of God. Second point on your list this morning, page five, is the power to receive. That's verse 13 in our text, uh, where Paul writes, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So God must work in us before he can work through us, right? God must work in us before he can work through us. So think about the men and the women the Lord uses in Scripture to accomplish his purposes. And you see this principle at work. For example, it took God 40 years, 40 years to get Moses to the place where he could lead the Israelites, right? He was doing a good work within him, like he is in you and me. Now, we may think 40 years sounds like a long time, and it is a long time, but nonetheless, uh, what Paul is driving at is this idea that obedience to Christ uh, for us is meant to be a joy because God is working in us, not an ongoing battle. Uh, and, and when the Holy Spirit is working in us, we're empowered then for his divine purposes and plans. But the question is, from that uh, bullet point, is where does this power originate? Well, I think in multiple ways. Gratefully, like a stream of conduits emanating from a power source, right? You should see all the electrical cords and uh, connections that we have uh, set up within the fellowship hall. But like a stream of conduits emanating from a power source, there is the word, there is prayer, there is worship, uh, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, there is service uh, to others. And believe it or not, brothers and sisters, believe it or not, we know from the life of Christ, we know from the life of Paul and others who have gone before us, power also emanates from a life of suffering. A life of suffering for the sake of the gospel. And I, I realize all those other examples are positive, and, but suffering, brothers and sisters, can be lumped in with all those other positive examples because suffering, like all the others, pulls us closer to God, or at least it should. So whether it's outright persecution for a confession of faith, perhaps suffering due to illness or, or whatever, uh, the goal even of something like suffering is to foster within us a dependency on God to a place of faith where we receive from him his grace and his peace. I think as Westerners, this one is the most difficult for us to embrace, right? We have perfected, if you will, our suffering avoidance techniques from the use of substances to uh, resources in print and online and professional services, we have made these things the end in themselves, not the means to assist us where Jesus is still. But we have made these things the end in themselves. Now, please don't misunderstand me because we should get help when we need it. But when it ultimately replaces Jesus, right, then we are headed in the wrong direction. 
the point being is as we're connected to Christ, we are on the receiving end of all his grace and mercy and power in our life of faith. Uh, and even suffering can be a place where we encounter God in meaningful ways. In fact, one of the uh, challenges or applications for today that I put for you in your worship packet on page five is to go to persecution.com to familiarize yourself with the persecuted church around the world uh, where religious liberties and freedoms are restricted uh, to such extremes that people are actually suffering, perhaps even giving their lives for the sake of Christ. The challenge then is to find that place and to pray for those those people, uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ who are isolated and marginalized in other parts of the world, to help you and me better understand what it's like to, to know and experience God's grace and presence even in a life of suffering. Paul could attest to it for himself, and certainly Jesus could as well. All right, last one. The promise to believe. Here's the text beginning at verse 16. As you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on, on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. All right, what is this promise? Well, did you catch it in verses 17 and 18? Paul says that joy is found in submission. Joy is found in submission. Yep, twice he says it. I know it's counterintuitive. I know it's countercultural, especially in a world world where aggression, uh, a world which uses aggression to fulfill its needs. You know, I was thinking uh, about this. What perhaps is an application of the joy found in submission? Uh, What perhaps is the application found in the joy of humility? Because that's, that's what Paul is after for us as believers, right? I thought about this past summer and the previous week, uh, two weeks ago. And I thought about the contrast um, uh, in movements, if you will, uh, with the modern and with the historic. Meaning, think about it this way. Tomorrow, as a nation, we're getting ready uh, to celebrate, to remember Dr. Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement from the late 50s and 60s, right? And when you think about those civil rights movements uh, that occurred in those decades, and you think about those who marched, there's an interesting um, uh, contrast, if you will, with what's happening today. Because as you go back and you look at old video and old footage, uh, you see these marches that that begin with prayer and and song and praise, and they're led by clergy, and and people walk peacefully down the street, and they're they're dressed in ties uh, and suits and slacks and button-downs and dresses, right? Whereas now people put on body armor, they dress in black, they carry shields and batons, they carry concealed weapons on their person, right? It's sad how much we have learned from an example such as Dr. King and the early civil rights movement, and even more so how little we have learned from Jesus about what it means to be a people of peace, what it means to be a good example (laughs) for our children. And for our good, our, and for our grandchildren. You see, even using Jesus as an example is proof enough that the world's approach is law is wrong, right? Think about it for him. Uh, he never uses a sword or or any weapon of war. Yet he wins the greatest battle in history, the battle against sin and Satan and the eternal death and hell. He defeats hatred by manifesting love. He overcomes lies with the truth. Because he surrenders, he is victorious. Matthew 26, 39 says this. This is the part of the passion in the Garden of Gethsemane. Going a little farther, Jesus fell to his face to the ground and prayed, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. You see his humanity submitted so that the divine purposes were accomplished. And that's the call to you and me in summation, Paul is saying. Submit our humanity to Christ so that his divine purposes are accomplished in and through us. Think about it this way from Luke chapter 14, verse 11. 
And for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Dare to believe, brothers and sisters, his promise to us all the while forsaking those false promises of the world. Because as we possess and practice this submissive mind to Christ, which we're called to practice, Paul tells us that there is this present reality of joy in our lives, a joy and rejoicing, which comes even in the context of, of suffering and serving. Paul exemplifies this and as an example calls us to follow as well because he is simply following the example of Christ. We aren't asked to, to nail it, right? We aren't asked to create some perfect recreation of Jesus, right? Because there already is and only is one Jesus. But we are called to surrender ourselves to him even in our life today. Brothers and sisters, this idea of Christ-likeness is not easy. We are brought to a place of faith in believing that not only are we saved through his shed blood and resurrection, but also in submitting ourselves to God, we discover God working in us to make us more like his son. That's his good work. So God works in us and through us for his purposes and plans, for our good and his glory, and we would not want it any other way. In Jesus' name. Our service now continues as you join us uh, with our confession of faith found on page six of our worship uh, handout. The confession uh, this morning is a little bit different for us. Uh, that is, it comes from Philippians chapter two, verses six through 11. And as I remark on the uh, document before you that scholars believe that this creedal hymn uh, has uh, and was already known to the church. Uh, it did not originate with Paul, even though Paul includes it in his personal letter to them. So. As Christians, uh, with one another around the world and across the ages, let's make our shared confession and the words of this uh, creedal confession uh, from the book of Philippians. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. We continue now with our prayers. On behalf of God's people, certainly those prayers listed in today's prayer page, and hopefully uh, you've been able to uh, print this off or have this open before you uh, in, uh, on your phone or uh, tablet. Uh, don't forget, though, uh, we do love to hear from you, so if you do have a prayer request uh, for us, please make sure and email uh, the church office or call the church office and let Cammie know so we can get that uh, prayer request printed uh, and distributed uh, amongst our church. So let's then pray for the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we're grateful uh, this morning for the opportunity uh, to pray, to commend ourselves and our loved ones, our friends and neighbors, uh, Lord, our community, uh, our state, our nation, uh, to you, uh, into your care, to entrust it to you, and to recognize, Lord, that you hold not only the past and the present, but also the future uh, in your hands. And so thank you, uh, Lord, for bringing us to this place of faith, this place of trust, where we can put before you those requests on our heart and mind, uh, whether they're known corporately among us as a church or, Lord, we bring them individually and privately to you this day. We're grateful for this opportunity and place of faith uh, for us. Lord, we pray for our nation, uh, particularly as we prepare for uh, presidential uh, uh, transition. Uh, we pray for peace. Uh, we pray, Lord, with thanksgiving that you have uh, given us uh, as Americans this opportunity to live in this republic, uh, to participate in, in democratic practices. Uh, and so we pray that as the body of Christ, Lord, gathered here in, in these United States, that, uh, Lord, that you would help us of all people uh, to be people of peace, uh, to be people of uh, of humility and submission, 
people of example uh, to others, Lord. Uh, not so that we might draw attention uh, of the world to us, uh, but no, so that we might, Lord, draw attention to Jesus, the Prince of Peace, uh, the one who can heal all uh, wounds, even the wounds uh, of a country. And so we give you thanks, though, too, for examples in our life of faith and, and witness around us, Lord, who have come before us and who have modeled for us what that submission and humility look like. As a nation, certainly we celebrate the example of uh, Dr. King and, and those, uh, Lord, with him in those decades, uh, seeking equity and, and justice uh, for those, uh, Lord, feeling marginalized uh, uh, and affected by, by racism. Uh, but we pray today for <laughs> examples uh, that might be found, uh, Lord, before us. Uh, a Holy Spirit algorithm, if you will, please. <laughs> Uh, to fill our Facebook feed, to fill our Twitter feed, to fill whatever social media platform feed we use uh, with examples of people uh, who do things in, in loving ways, uh, who do things in peaceful ways, uh, who seek not uh, to make themselves known, uh, but who seek the good of those around them. Uh, and so we pray, Lord, that you would keep our hearts and eyes open this week uh, to those examples around us uh, who, are who are truly serving. Uh, in humility and grace uh, before the world. But we commend to you our brothers and sisters in need, uh, giving thanks for this opportunity for those, uh, Lord, who are suffering, uh, whether it's physically or, or um, emotionally or, or mentally, uh, whether it's financially or relationally, uh, this opportunity to bring our brothers and sisters and ourselves to you, uh, Lord, and entrust these needs to you. And so we pray for Judy's family and for Craig. We pray for uh, Linda, we pray for Stephen's family. We pray for Lucille and Devin and Joy and Jerry. We pray for Melody and, and Bill and Bob and Alicia. We pray for Obi and Mary and Chad and Charles and Marianne and Tomas and, and Mitchell and Beverly. We pray for Jolynn and Sadie and Baldo and, and Christy. We commend you Carol and Earl and Seal and Chris and Bonnie and Jim. We pray for Bob and Russ and Marion and Anne. We commend you Lydia and Carol and Rhonda and Marie and Donna and Billy for Ruth and Cammie and Dave and Mary and Marge and Randy, giving thanks that you hear our prayers on behalf of those, Lord, whom we name, and certainly on behalf of those who remain on our heart and mind, and that you will meet their needs in, in your time and in your way for their good uh, in your glory. And so whether you call our loved ones home to be with you or, or perhaps uh, usher in a, a change of circumstances for the good for them, continue to pray that you would bring them your peace which surpasses all their understanding, that you would guard their heart and mind in Christ Jesus, and continue, Lord, to help us uh, remember to pray for them in their time of need. Thank you for the privilege and the power of prayer uh, in the body of Christ. So, Lord, we commend uh, to you those things spoken, uh, the many, many more left unspoken, giving thanks for your love in Jesus, and entrusting to you, uh, Lord, the outcome of these prayers um, as your people. Remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We continue now with the service of the sacrament. Uh, we're in setting two uh, this week um, and invite you to participate in that. And again, uh, those of you at home participating uh, in the service of the sacrament, don't forget to uh, schedule with the church office an opportunity to come by and pick up um, uh, what you need uh, for participating uh, in the remainder of the service. We continue then on page seven with our preface. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks unto the Lord our God.
Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them to drink, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink the blood of Christ poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Now may this very body and blood of our Lord and Savior strengthen and encourage you in one true faith and continually remind you of God's love for you. Go with this peace and his blessing. We continue with our distribution hymn, Holy Spirit. Shame is undone. 
Continue then with our post-communion prayer and benediction. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, again, thank you uh, for this uh, gift of grace and mercy found in this meal, uh, this very visible, tangible reminder of your love for us and our lives as your people. And so we give you thanks, uh, Lord, uh, for that uh, nourishment for the week ahead. So as we scatter unto the world uh, to bear witness to the world of your love, we continue to pray you'd empower us by the incarnational Christ who lives within us and calls us to come and follow him. In his name we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen. 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 Our closing hymn is Holy, 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 507.